0: All right, Josh Smith here, live at my studio, Flat 5, and I'm talking to someone just down the road, but he hails from New Orleans, Louisiana. He's one of my favorite guitar players. I think the first time I actually saw him play in person was with Neville Brothers. I was probably pretty young. Um, uh, He plays with all sorts of guys. Um, Dr. John, he played with Willie Nelson, he toured with the Neville Brothers, plays with Hall & Oates. You've probably seen him on TV from live from Daryl's house. He's just a great, great guitar player, has a killer solo record you need to listen to and i just love the way he plays and it's kind of one of those anomalies where i've had friends in common with this guy and been listening to him play most of my life and we never actually met or played so hoping to rectify that but everybody please welcome shane terrio
1: hey josh what's up man Oh, uh, hey well you saw me play with the neville brothers when you were really young so you dated me <laughs> yeah
0: when was it was that? probably on uh, one of those bb king tours do you remember doing oh yeah yeah we
1: did uh i uh i think two of those we did with bb yeah, yeah man, yes that that's definitely I, where i
0: saw you first
1: yeah yeah man wow that was fun yeah we were on the road with bb and um i forget oh one year it was bb and storyville and uh shit, i don't remember but yeah we like three months i got to hear bb play every night it's killer yeah <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, I can relate a little bit to that that feeling. I, I opened up for him a couple years in a row every time he would come to Florida for a run, and I was really young. And, man, it was such like an inspirational – I learned so much in those weeks. You know, it was like just magical stuff. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. What a legend, man. Nice character. Yeah, man. Well, dude, thank you for, for being here and doing this. Also, did I pronounce your name correctly? Because being a Smith, I never have to worry about it. So I always I want to make sure I got it say? right.
1: <laughs> I missed it. Did you say Terrio, right? Yeah, it's Terrio. I've heard. You know, I was joking with with uh, somebody yesterday. They were were like Shane. There, did I pronounce that right? There, you know, it's always Terrio, but uh, it's Terrio. Yeah, Yeah, it's all right. uh, I got it right. Cajun (laughs) French from way back, provincial French. You know, the the um, the H is silent. But people, (laughs) I mean, if I had a, a dime for a quarter for every time somebody's like, "Man, the riot!" Wow. (laughs) <laughs> you should do something with that. Either that yeah, you or you do know. something. Shane, come
0: back, Shane. You're the first. Yeah. You, every time, do you probably say, "Yeah, you're the first guy that thought of that. That's amazing." I, I'm gonna write that down. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh Go man. Ahead. Well, I've been starting all these by asking everybody a little bit about how the guitar ended up in their hands the first time. I'm really interested in that because I don't come from a a musical family. Uh, It was really a random thing. My dad bought this guitar, I guess, because maybe he wanted a musician in the family and it just ended up in my hands. I didn't have anybody around me playing. How did it work for you? How did the guitar end up in your hands first?
1: Uh, It was, well, it was a combination of two things sort of at the same time. I, um, I kind of grew up in the, you know, was playing. And before I was playing, let's see, early 80s, I guess it would have been. I saw a movie about the Beatles. I mean, the Beatles were already sort of old. I mean, my mom had Beatles records, you know, but so it was unusual for a 10-year-old to be into the Beatles, I guess, at that point. But uh, I was. it really inspired me to want to play guitar. So I remember telling my parents, I want a guitar for Christmas. And around that same time, um, one of my best friends that I grew up with uh he was in a band and he played um drums and drums were uh, drums were my first instrument along with trumpet but they already had a drummer my friend was playing drums so he's like well you should play guitar you know and my uncle played guitar and uh i always thought i had the cool uncle that he would you know he would come after school he would show up and show me you know ZZ top things or uh, stairway to heaven or you know, he was like a seventies folk kind of guy, but he could play some rock stuff. So he showed me all the bread, you know all that kind of stuff. And um, so all those things sort of happen at the at the same time. And I just I just got bit by the bug, man, as you know, and never turned back, you know.
0: Yeah, and I'm assuming you probably, you know, once once we get bit, we all do we we get obsessive and we progress at least most of us pretty quickly because of how much time we put into it um what about like being in new orleans like that you said you you played trumpet it's just a prerequisite right that if you go to school in new orleans you're going to play a horn of some sort
1: yeah well i i went to school outside of new orleans i mean i wasn't influenced by any kind of dixieland stuff at all i mean i if anything i heard more I heard like meters things. Uh, my mom had gotten me a meters record when I was a little kid. Um, they, they all asked for you, you know, went all down to you know, that, that thing. It was sort of like a regional hit, you know, but on the flip side was a tune called Running Fast. And I was always just enamored by what now I know is, you know, Leon Santelli playing to a phase shifter. But back then, I didn't know. It was just the flip side of they all asked for you. Probably most people didn't even listen to it. That bought the record for that single, right? And so those things sort of in, inspired me more uh, regional things like that. You know, get on the school bus during Mardi Gras season, you'd hear you know Carnival time. You know, you'd hear New Suit things like that. And I, I never, I mean, I guess it was sort of a subliminal kind of thing, osmosis. Um, my dad uh, really loved Cajun music, traditional Cajun music. So he would take me to uh, music festivals in Lafayette, um, you know, about two two hours from where we were from. And uh, I just soaked up a lot of that stuff. And later on, I got to really appreciate it. So, but, if, you know, I, I don't know, it's a long winded uh, response, but I guess what you were saying is, yeah, it's trumpet is sort of a, It is a horn town, New Orleans, you know, but I think it's not as much of a guitar town as drums, drum, drumming, horns, and maybe keyboard playing, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And did you, did you take, I mean, I'm assuming you had some music in school probably. Did you take any guitar lessons from anybody or was it all kind of on your own?
1: At first it was just my uncle and he showed me, you know, uh, the, the chords and bar chords and he was very patient, He'd come over after school, show me a lot of stuff. And then I start to, like he said, you progress quickly. And then when I was around 15, uh, my um, a friend of mine was taking lessons from the local hotshot <laughs> excuse, excuse guy and he showed him how to, I know how to do what Eddie Van Halen does, man. Because we were trying, to, I couldn't figure it out, you know, and he showed me the whole tap, you know. And I was like, it was just like probably what Edison felt when he saw the light bulb come on at the first time. <laughs> I was like, so I was taking lessons sort of vicariously through him, you know, a few, and then we then we moved away. We moved out of South Louisiana uh, when I was uh, 16 or 17, 17, And I finished my um, half of junior year and senior year in South Carolina. And I, anyway, they had a really great school there. So I uh, I got into the jazz band program there. I took a few private uh, classical lessons. I was playing with the college jazz band. So that's where my lesson kind of thing came in. I never really took private lessons uh, per se. I didn't have like one teacher um, until I got to GIT, you know, I had a teacher there, but.
0: Yeah, sure. So. Okay, so you moved to South Carolina then for high school. Were Were you? Uh, I mean, it sounded like you had a band with friends in in Louisiana. Same thing in in South Carolina. Did yep. you have guys your age that you were yep. playing with and having fun with? And right away, like that?
1: I got into the, like the great, you know, the best band, uh, and it was really cool. It was a, it was a good way for me. It, you know, guitar has always been one of those things. Like, I you know, I never was really great in sports. I never had much interest in it. I ran track for a minute, but um music was all always a bonding thing for me so it was always easy to make friends that way so moving to a completely different school a different culture completely different and you're like 17 years old or whatever it was 16 the guitar was like it it just instantly helped me you know just fit in you know yeah. it was uh so yeah i was lucky to have that and i did meet some great guys and. Play a lot of great music there yeah. Mm-hmm. Do, do you
0: remember uh, any time what your first paying gig was around those times?
1: oh I remember my first paying gig I was 11 years old and we played a gig called the sauce piquant festival in Raceland Louisiana and it was a church festival I mean but in south Louisiana church it's not like you know it's pretty wild they were pretty crazy festivals i, I think they stopped having a festival because of gambling or something, but <laughs> sauce pecan and French yeah, and it literally just translates to spicy sauce and it's a it's a Cajun dish you make with red gravy, you know but there was a, a school festival every year for and it was school church festival, and they would raise money and we played and uh yeah i was I was eleven about to turn twelve, and that was my first paying gig, but you know nice. it was uh so it, it yeah, goes back
0: that, a ways, Josh. Well, and that know? but it hooks you. That hooks you so fast. It's like when, it, not only when you learn, start learning and growing and playing with other people, but then when you get paid, even if it's twenty bucks, and someone shoves it in your pocket at the end of a you know a gig, it's like I'll do this for the rest of my life. Like that's it. I'm 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 sold. You know that feeling. Oh yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember going home with seventy five dollars. You know, and being like. 13 14 i'm like why am i gonna cut grass like you know billy down the street i mean in this hot sun why would i do that i'll just play you know three sets
0: at 13 i played every friday and saturday 75 bucks each day four sets each day and that's how i bought my first strat my first fender reeve pro reverb like i would just shove it in an envelope and then go buy a guitar you know like yeah 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 Yeah, amazing, man. So, so, okay. So when you're getting ready to finish high school, I'm assuming by this time your parents know you're a lost cause, like this is what you're going to do with your life. And that's, that's, that's all there is to it. So how do you end up deciding to go to, to GIT and not just get right out, you know, playing gigs more or, you know, how does it, what's the decision process there?
1: I had, a, I like I mentioned before, I was playing in this college band, uh, the jazz band. So after high school, I would go to the college band and play with them. And so I knew one of the professors there. And I took a couple of classical lessons from another professor there. So they kind of hooked me up with a scholarship. And, uh, but, you know, I didn't want to live there. I didn't want to stay. I had no intention. I, I mean, I, I knew right away, I was like, well, I'm going to go to Hollywood. you <laughs> know, And uh, so I just, I saved my money and I, and I just went, I remember that. I remember my mom and dad being like, what, you're going to turn down this, this college scholarship. And I thought, you know, I can always do it, but I want to go to, I want to go. And I remember the feeling of just, it was just an empowering feeling of this is what I need to do. You know, my thing has always been, man, if I want to learn something, I want to learn from guys that are like doing it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to learn and it's not a slam on anybody but like I don't want to learn from somebody that learned from a book from somebody else teaching or like he's you know I want to I want to go to LA and like study you know at the time like um, Scott Henderson was a huge influence you know and I later got to know him well and and he was at the school and you know other people like on his level like these guys are out in trenches that's what I wanted to do so that's why I made that decision. It was one of the best years of my life, really. at that time, it was just it was it was such a great time to be a guitar player. I mean guitar was a popular instrument. The school was really happening, and uh meeting people from all over the world that uh, you know were on your level or even above or whatever it was just yeah. wow, what a great time you know? what year was that That was about ninety or 91 losing track now, something like that. Yeah, Yeah, so guitar was, you
0: know, ruling the roost at that time. You had, absolutely shrapnel and guitar for the practicing musician, and everything was guitar, guitar, guitar. Yeah, yeah, I mean, also people don't realize GIT then was not, like, as fancy and nice as MI is now. It was like Hollywood was still (laughs) kind of rough, and, you know, GIT especially – But man, the teachers were crazy. Like, did you did you have any Joe Diorio time or anything like that back then?
1: I well, I didn't have a great experience with Joe Diorio, and uh, I think he was like in a bad mood one day or something. And I asked him some. I I showed up with this uh, chord diagram that that Scott Henderson had given me, and uh, it was just like all these you know minor seven kind of variations or whatever, Uh and. And I asked Jody, I was, first of all, I was so intimidated. And I asked him, um, you know, could you give me some voicings or whatever? And and he goes, let me see the paper. And then he looked at the paper Scott had given me, because there were some blank spaces on it that, that I, he was going to write in. And he goes, where did you get these voicings? And I said, oh, Scott gave them to me. And he goes, those are my voicings. <laughs> <Like, laughs> you know, and sometimes he would just shut the uh the shade on his room like we would try to get in and just close the shade but i i don't know that was so jody orio what a what a badass though but you know i was so young and like i was 18 man i was so just scared you know um jody Oriole, i don't I, so those are my jody orio stories right. i have a good howard roberts story though um oh really howard roberts as you know josh probably but maybe your listeners don't he was he was like one of the, you know, uh, LA elite session guys. I I, oh, yeah. I believe he played, uh, you know, yeah. amongst other things. He he did. He was one of the cats, but he was also just a brilliant, burning jazz player. I mean, check out some of his older records. Howard Roberts is a funky guitar player and all that stuff. Just amazing chops for back then, man, late fifties, early sixties. And so anyway, Howard had this book. uh, Well, no, let me think think of this other story. They would announce that Howard Roberts was going to come to the school and do a seminar. Howard Roberts, today, Thursday, you know, because he didn't live in L.A. anymore. So Mm -hmm. everybody would line up, all all the, the really hip cats would line up to see him never show up. It happened like three times. It was like, you know. (laughs) <laughs> no, he never showed up. So after, so like the fourth time, like a few months later, said Howard Roberts will be here today, room one ten, you know, seminar, blah blah blah. And it's like four guys are there now because you know he's already cried wolf so many times, like right. But he showed up, and he showed up. He had the sunglasses, the little hat sideways with his case, hard shell case. And I remember um, he just said, uh, "What do you guys want to do today?" Blah, blah. and he's like. Okay, I'm gonna teach you what some guys learned in three years of, of regular college. I'm gonna show you how to re harmonize the tune by writing backwards, starting from the melody note, the last note, working your way back up using strong root resolutions, you know, fourths and fifths. And and he did the, he made this little kind of mock slide rule on the chalkboard, and he showed us strong root pos- resolutions, you know, three or four things like a fifth, fourth, whatever. Mm -hmm. and then we took a a jazz standard and he showed it like say the last note was a C. Uh, We just wrote backwards and we used the root movements and then we filled in the harmony after and it sounded like you were some genius you know and he showed us this in like two hours. He was an amazing educator man. That's cool. So um, I wish I could have got to spend more time with him you know but uh, that's what I mean that school was just at that time, I'm sure it still is. I mean, I still keep in touch with a lot of the teachers there yeah it was a it was a it was a game changer man for me, you know
0: that's so cool, man I was just watching Howard Roberts literally yesterday at the 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 area pro era when he had that area pro guitar with his name on the twelfth fret after the Gibson stuff, or maybe it was before the fusion Gibson, but between the the you know the 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 big hole Gibson with the pickup. And then before the fusion, I think he played the Aria Pro for a while. It was, but yeah, yeah was I remember
1: that. Yeah, video. I have a I have a seventies 70s, early seventies 70s, uh, Gibson Howard Roberts with the oval, yeah, and right. one one floating pickup. You know, and I, I was playing it one day, and uh, Doctor John saw me playing. He's like, "Where do you get that guitar? That's a that's a Howard Roberts." <laughs> I said, Mac, you you know how Robbie was. I used to work with Howard all the time, and he, and he did. They were on wrecking crew sessions together.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah,
1: so it's a it's
0: an interesting guitar too. Like it, nothing sounds like that guitar.
1: No, that's true.
0: Yeah, Man, really weird. So, I'm assuming when you are out here, did you do any any gigging when you were out here at GIT? <laughs> Man,
1: I was. I first time I came out here uh, this year. Let's see, it was like March 5th or something I landed and you know Joe Taylor drummer Joe Taylor of course yeah he calls me and he says uh hey man are you in town I said dude I just like literally just landed picked up my suitcase and he said yeah um I think Scott Scott Anderson bailed on me on this gig you know this little jam thing he does and Patsy he goes can you come do the gig tomorrow night I said sure so that was fun did that went to baked potato uh with this drummer to hear this killer band back in March and the next day everything shut down. Yeah. So <laughs> that's how it's been. But, uh, yeah. you know, it's uh, oh. and I've been in and out a few times, but it's kind of a ghost town around here, which is, it's kind of cool because everybody is in town, you know, everybody is in town and nobody wants to come over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we could be anywhere, man, doing this. We could you be know? Anywhere.
0: Dude. So when, when you finished GIT, what was the plan there that you had in mind? Was it stay out here and start working as a guitar player? Was it move back to South Carolina or Louisiana? What was the next move?
1: Um, it's funny, man. Nobody, nobody's ever asked me any of this stuff. Let me think back. Uh, my, I had no money. I was 20 years old. I had a girlfriend I just broke up with that, you know, put me in a terrible frame of mind out here. I remember that. So I kind of wanted to get out of here, actually. And there was another teacher at the school that had opened up a sister school. Uh, It was GIT Atlanta, later became Atlanta Institute of Music. And Scott Henderson got me a gig. He recommended me for a gig. So I, I got the teaching gig. That's what I did. I thought, well, okay. This'll be a this'll be a stepping stone. It'll be good. I can make a little bit of money and you know, get out of LA for a minute and then figure out what I want to do. And, you know, back in the south, I guess. And um, and so I get get to Atlanta and um Jimmy Herring was one of the teachers and it was very small, it was completely different, but it was cool and I stayed there two years. Okay. That's how that worked out.
0: That's cool. And so then when does, you know, going on the road as a sideman really start to become a thing then?
1: Well, one day I was teaching at uh, at the school, and one i never forget, one of my students came up to me, and he goes, um, hey, man, like, why why aren't you out gigging? Like, you're a great player. Like, why are you here teaching? You know, you're 20 years old or 21. Like, and I started thinking about it. And um, meantime, I had a friend of mine who had moved to Nashville, and he um, – he was making more money than me gigging on weekends and I just clicked I was like you know what I got to get out of here I don't I don't want to teach so I left and just went to Nashville and that's how that whole the sideman thing kind of came about I mean my goal man, even when I was 15 was um, always it was to be a working guitar player it was mm. you know I never wanted to be I mean I did you know we all wanted to be you know rock star or whatever back then but early on I, I i liked playing different styles and i i I, could, I was pretty proficient in different styles i worked hard on a lot of things and reading and stuff so i thought i want to be a working cat you know and you know it wasn't wasn't going to happen staying in atlanta so that's how that happened let me move this camera a little bit yeah
0: it's amazing how you know once you start touring it becomes like a you can snap your fingers and like 30 years go by you know you go from tour to tour and session to session and you maybe you move here you buy a house you do this and next thing you know it's like you've you've spent 30 years i've kind of got 10 years into that journey before i kind of decided again to doing my own thing more which is what i'm doing now but it's like i mean it is it's a it's a weird feeling like being a a side man guy and and knowing how how cyclical it is you've done it now a long time do you ever get burned out on it
1: yeah i mean i i you know i mean it's such an overused word nowadays like but you know i consider myself blessed first of all to sure. um, to have had great gigs like i haven't had to do a lot of shitty gigs i mean i've done them but not touring i've never Never done any crappy touring gigs because I won't do it and I'd rather just not do it. Um, But do I get burnout? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, Lots of times, man, I've, I've played with somebody and not, not my current gig. You know, I mean, that's cool. But there's a lot of times where you're, you're always thinking, I mean, like yourself, you know, you said you've spent the last 10 years doing your own thing. Well, I think any any guy that has something to say on the instrument, I mean, you you in the back of your mind, you're thinking, you know, but it's, it's a hard thing, man. It's like, because you know how it is, we probably have a lot of the same musician friends and, and people are like, well, you know, things are tough. How did so-and-so get that gig? I'd love to have that gig, blah, blah, blah. And it's like this little click and then you don't want to let go of certain things or, you know, it and like you said, 10 years go by, like, boom, like nothing, you
0: know? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, I when I started, I thought, well, I'll never do anything but my own music. I'm I'm me, and I'm a blues guitar player, and this is what I do. And then when I made the decision to stop doing that and move to L.A. because I wanted to be more of a working guitar player, try to be an adult with a family, make a living. Okay, now I'm, I'm all in on that. I'm going to be a sideman and do sessions. And that was great like i had you know 12 years here of that was all i did basically and you know i had some really fun gigs good music i did a lot of sessions and i made a living we bought our house all that type of stuff and then somehow it flipped back around and now i'm i'm back the other way like i'm never going back on the road again as a side man for anybody ever again you know like i i, I only go on the road if it's for my own thing or or blah 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 blah. and, and it was because i started to see While I was in the midst of the touring thing, it would be like, man, you'd have that year that's just killing and then you'd have that year that was just sucked and then you'd have that year that was killing and you would have that year that was just okay. And it was like, it was so up and down while still being incredibly rewarding and fun and you're playing music for a living. I'm not complaining about it, but it was like, man, I, I did feel like 40 years could go by and then I'll definitely have lost any chance of doing my own thing. And where will I be at the end of that 40 years? Besides, I don't know. I don't know if I would have liked where I ended up basically.
1: Yeah. Well, there's one gig I won't mention, but it's a pretty big singer that I had, I had this jam band for a while called the grease factor, which was named after my um, second solo record. Right. And um, I had a guy that was interested in, you know, promoting us. He kind of managed us and stuff. And he, um, so anyway, we put this band together with Jeff Sype from Aquarium Rescue Unit, Johnny Neal from Government Mule, like you know, all my brother. It was like a yeah. star band, and it was right when the jam band thing was happening, like maybe twelve years ago, fifteen years ago. And you know, we would go, we would go in a van and come back with not a lot of money, and it was great, man. It was one of the best musical things I ever did, and. I remember Jeff Syke got a call from the Black Crows and he turned down the gig to keep doing this. And we were making no money, man. And he had two kids at the time. He was so into it. And Johnny Neal turned down a Brian Setzer record, Master Scale, one one time to go do this little run we were doing. And I get a call, you know, the next spring and this singers offering me full retainer, like, you know, great gig. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to take it. so i it wasn't just me there were other things happening at the time but that was kind of the nail in the coffin my i remember my wife was pissed he's like why are you doing this like why don't you do your own thing like you just you keep doing it and i go i know i just i take these gigs man and uh, but uh i've been lucky interesting I've that your, wife was,
0: your wife was pushing you the other way I, I, that's
1: really cool no she's always been really supportive and, and um you know I've I'm lucky that way. But um. I've been like luck- mine's the same way. I mean, the
0: last few years, I mean, the last really seven years, I've done nothing really but my own thing. But I still get call- I do sessions plenty, but I, I get called for tours. And a year or so ago, I got called for one that Landau put my name in the hat for. And it was a, a international artist and it was all overseas touring. But it was like a year of retainer and really, really good pay, you know, to tour basically italy and europe for the year and my wife was the first one to say you can't do it you'll have to cancel all the dates you already have planned for yourself and this record that you got to produce this year and i don't think you should do it it's not worth it even
1: though it was a lot of money so yeah i get it yeah well i think you're smart i i you know i wish i would have started doing my own thing a lot sooner i mean um it's just this year i mean i've always sang i've never recorded or, like put stuff out publicly but i just sang a, a song this morning for this producer i mean i now it's like this is the first year i've had time that's a lame excuse because i have had time before but it's hard I'll, I'll tell you one thing that people probably don't realize like even you know touring with john and daryl daryl hall john oates i mean it's cush like maybe mccartney might be a little cushier but it's the travel they really take care of you everything is you know it's awesome i mean you couldn't ask for a better condition yeah. the hotel's a killer you don't play more than one show a day you know it's every other day sometimes every two days so it's not a grinding pace is my point and I get out on the road for you know three week run bring my laptop and my interface and my lyrics or this or whatever you're going to do or I have a podcast or I try to work on that thing is man you get out there it's a different mindset as you know you, it's hard to be productive, even though you you have the time. It's not quality time. Like you don't focus. I don't anyway. And I've talked to other people that are the same. I, I don't get a lot done when I'm on the road. It takes yep. up more time than just that one gig. You know, you're in that mental headspace, traveling, like you're in a different place every two days and then you're adjusting. It's like, I don't feel like doing anything
0: creative (laughs) yeah no i'm with you on that i i struggle trying to do any any of that type of creative work you know on the the downtime in hotel rooms and stuff like that in the middle of tour it's not easy
1: yeah but but uh i think you're smart you know focusing more on your own thing i mean when i lived in new york I, i noticed that about new york like um it's it's mostly about doing your own thing in new york i mean what i experienced like you know i i I'd go hear Wayne Krantz all the time, 55 bar, and, and um, you know, I'd talk to him and, and um, somebody introduced this and said, yeah, Shane's doing this. And he goes, oh, that's cool. So what about your own thing? Like, you know, yeah. what, are you, what are you practicing now? Like, what, what are you working on? How's your tunes? You know, it's all about yeah. what are you doing to your stuff, you know, and yeah. that's one of the things I really loved about that, that environment there. But I think that's the only way as an artist, like you're an artist, I'm an artist, you know they, not everybody is I think some people are completely satisfied being Joe sideman, oh, uh, yeah. but yeah you know, it's uh you have to scratch that itch, you know absolutely, or at least be content with the fact that you're not you know what I mean yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm totally happy playing with with uh Holland Oates or with you know any other. People I'd play with. There's a reason I do it because I really enjoy it and it's good yeah. music. I mean, if I had to play on on session things that I didn't like every day, you know, I have friends in Nashville that do that and they make a lot of money, but man, yeah, it's yeah. such a grind, you know. Like I I used to do a lot of that stuff, and after a year of it, it's like I couldn't play anymore. It's weird. Yeah. I, I can only think in like eight bar phrases. <laughs> There's nothing, it's hard to, to to turn that thing off and then go be, you know, it's, it's different, man. You lose, like, I think you lose a, a little bit of fire doing oh, that.
0: You lose a lot of fire. I mean, I'm losing fire just during this pandemic. And I'm playing more guitar than I ever have probably in life since I was a kid at least. <laughs> but uh, it's not the same, you know what I mean? It's not the same kind of playing. Yeah. There's yeah. no purpose behind it other than, you know, shedding and bettering myself. That's it. There's no like, yeah, so the fire just, just what's the point? I'm not going to stand up and play with dynamics in my living room or out here in the studio by myself, yeah. you know?
1: Yeah. I feel like this whole interview is taking a dark turn. I hope your listeners <laughs> are. not
0: No, no, no. I don't know no, if this
1: dude. is usually, like questions you usually ask or whatever. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah.
0: Dude, Let's let's jump into the 10 questions okay all right number one when you started learning and playing what was the first thing that when you figured it out you know and got it under your fingers like you know freaked you out so much like you can't believe you figured this out and it's like you like it set the hook you know like oh my god i I learned this thing i love what what was it you know well
1: i remember one thing i mean this is this is some pretty this is some real primal shit, but i remember learning you know, decord and going over to my friend's house with my little pig nose amp and I learned I figured out how you could move it up. You know and do like make up little songs like that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and Dude. shit, years later I heard I said, damn Alex Lifeson made a career out of that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Not not a career, but there's a few rush songs that are you know that was one of the first things and then my uncle showed me stairway to heaven which uh, to learn that was learning you know like a friggin Howard Alden chord melody at the time you know it was yeah. like i was like Whoa. you know cuz you don't know like minor shapes or anything you're just like yeah. memorizing where your fingers go and it was completely yeah. foreign yeah. so those are two things i remember learning that yeah. that just was so fun man just so fun
0: I wish I could bottle up the way it felt like every time I had one of those light bulb moments as a kid, you know, or or just the joy of, figuring out like the first time you really learn the pentatonic scale and you figure out when you're listening along to a a radio, you know, that all you got to do is find what key you're in and you're fine. And you just start playing along with this
1: song. Like
0: that feeling, there was no going back after that feeling, you know?
1: Yeah. I've said that. I've said that too. I said, I wish I could go back to that time, you know, when you get home from school and sit on the edge of your bed and like, couldn't wait to plug up and start playing. You know, it was just, it's fun, man. It's, yep. that's, that's what I mean. It, it hooks you for life once you get hooked. For life, man. All right,
0: well, to that end, number two, do you remember the first solo you ever learned note for note, or was that a thing you didn't do? Was, was there something a solo that you learned note for note?
1: I don't remember. Look, I'm trying to think. There must have been something. Like I said, my uncle would teach me a lot of things, and, and it wasn't necessarily what was on the radio at the time, I and mean, it was already True. kind of old at that point. So, but I do remember him showing me. Um, uh, what is that? Uh, Show me the way, P- Peter Frampton. Yeah, yeah. I remember him yeah. showing me that, and um, what else? And then I remember learning uh, "Stairway to Heaven" the solo, uh, and going, "Wow, that's so hip, man!" Landing on that. <laughs> Yeah, wow. <laughs> Playing over the changes, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. I a solo per se, those two probably nice. Yeah, I remember licks. Like I remember this lick. When I learned this, this Eddie Van Halen. Wow. Doesn't sound <laughs> clean. That all that stuff. When that when I learned it that day, I was like, wow, it was no youtube back then as you remember it was just like oh yeah
0: yeah i can imagine so you know i'm a few years younger than you so while i loved eddie i wasn't there like at the when he first came out explosion so it wasn't like well i wasn't either yeah
1: i I wasn't either the first i mean i yeah i was i was about seven then when that came seven eight but but the first van halen record i ever heard was van halen 2 and it was already it was old. I mean, it was, I heard Van Halen 2 and then Diver Down, and I only had those records for like a year. And then I got Van Halen 1, and I was like, wow. And it was just. Yeah. It, but I remember buying 1984 on cassette when it came out. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: I remember having 1984 just Jump and whatever the B-side was, 45. I remember buying a 45 of Jump. Well, uh, one of the first records I ever physically owned, like as a kid. So I, I was six or five, Yeah, five or six. But I remember getting jumped, you know, uh, but it's funny. I, I interviewed Andy Timmons recently. He was a good friend and he's a little older than both of us. And he was talking about, you know, no YouTube and all that. And when Eddie came out and the record came out, he didn't understand what tapping was because he'd never seen anybody do it. So when he heard eruption, he couldn't figure it out. And then he saw a picture in Guitar Player magazine where Eddie was like this, with his hand, you know, co- back behind oh, him. And he assumed that's what Eddie was doing to get this weird sound he never heard. And he learned eruption like this. And he says that's the only way he can play it to this day. But he's like, it, then he finally saw something, and it was like, no, that's not how he plays it, you know?
1: Yeah, <laughs> it probably caused a lot of tendon problems back then. <laughs> Everybody... <laughs> Trying to figure out what the hell was going on, you know.
0: So. I can't imagine, man. I can't. I. It's like I. I, I talked to my dad a little bit, and he's not a guitar player about what it was like when Jimmy came out, cause he remembers like even as a non-guitar player, the first time Purple Haze came on the radio, like he lost his mind. He thought like aliens were landing and like he couldn't he couldn't believe, he's a rock and roll guy, you know? So I can't imagine for guitar players what that was like. And, and then again in 78 when Eddie, you know, had to just be crazy to be, you know, like a 15 year old guitar player at that time when those two things happened. Yeah. Yeah, crazy. All right, number three, what's the first thing you play every time you pick up a guitar?
1: Do your hands just go somewhere, like autopilot? Uh, there's really no first thing. I mean, I what do I play? I don't know. I guess I just bang a chord, you know, <laughs> see if the amp's on. <laughs> I don't have like a, a lick or anything I do. You know, it depends. Well, what about,
0: yeah. speaking of the amps on, or like, like when you flip standby at the gig, and you're checking to make sure everything's working. Do you have like a little thing you play that lets you know all I, of probably, a...
1: I don't know, man. It could be anything. I, I really don't, honestly. That's a weird question, actually. I don't know. <laughs> I never I never thought about that. Probably a chord thing. Probably something out, of know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, I never thought about that.
0: How about if you go into, like, a shop to try out a guitar? Do you have any little things you do that, you know, you check to see if the guitar kind of has it
1: or not that lets you know if it does? I'll play, well, if I'm checking out a guitar, I, I wouldn't play a lot of licks. I would probably just check out, you know, for dead spots and things like that. Chords, you know, play it unimplified, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um You know, probably maybe some sort of progression, some little chord progression. I don't know. I never thought about that. Yeah, I'll have to come up with something. (laughs) Well, there you go. Well,
0: this one, too, you probably never thought about. What key style, song, groove do you hear? Do you hear anything like... You know when you're driving your car and you're not listening to music or when you're cooking or something do you have anything that always like comes into mind in your head like a you know like your home groove or whatever i'm always hearing a shuffle or something swinging you know over the top of a, a beat like i hear triplets a lot i just hear charlie parker or bb king or something swinging you know or shuffling do you have anything like that that just never goes away
1: uh, I, you know, I hear things like second line grooves, you know, new yeah. Orleans second, like faster ones. Um, yeah. I hear yeah. that stuff all the time in my head, you know, yeah. I like, probably do four records with just that groove. <laughs> oh, yeah. I hear that a lot. Not so much shuffles, but uh, I do love yeah. shuffles too. Yeah. That makes sense
0: to me that you would hear second line. Plus it's such a great feel, you know, what about like when you, when you first listen to a piece of music that you've never heard before, do you ever kind of recognize what, what normally your first inclination is? Are you trying to find maybe what you would play over it? Or you're just maybe listening to the melody or harmonizing the melody or you, you know, checking the groove? Do you do you realize like what the first thing you normally grab hold of is? Yeah, that, that
1: one I can answer pretty easily. Uh, groove, absolutely groove. I, I listen for uh, rhythm, pretty rhythmically oriented. Like that's what I gravitate towards. And then uh, melodic, you know. I mean, if it's a if it's a song, song with lyrics, you know, I'll listen to the sound of the vocal and things like that. I don't generally think in terms of guitar until later. Mm. You know, if it was somebody who wanted me to play over something, I would I would listen to the try to focus on groove and and um, you know chord progression and something like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Because it's weird out here. There's so many guys who just do sessions all day long. So it's like they only listen through the lens of what would I play on top of this when they hit the button. You know what I mean? And, and, uh, I mean, I do that too to some degree, but it's like then you're not really listening to the music, you know? It's weird.
1: Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah you have to, I think you have to sort of, uh, uh, zoom out, you know, get more of a wider view, pan out from yeah. everything things like you know yeah. I mean I, I know definitely you can put on the guitar ears and focus on tone and touch and that kind of thing but yeah. I, uh, I try to not listen to music that way you know I try to listen to things with the the total picture uh, depending on what I'm doing I mean like you said yeah if you're session guy you kind of have to have those, those ears though to focus on what, what are you going to bring to a project.
0: Yeah, yeah, that was, it was always fascinating for me, because when I, before I moved to LA, the only time I'd ever done sessions or been in the studio was to do my own music. So then when I started getting called out on sessions here, I really had no idea what the job even entailed, you know? So it was like, it took me a while to even figure out how to start creating parts on other people's music and making yeah. people happy. It's, it's a weird job. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah cool man uh number five when did you feel like maybe you started to find what your voice might be on the guitar was there a moment you remember like you know something clicking and you felt like oh i should do more of this this sounds more like like me maybe
1: probably the first recording i did uh which was um you were talking about mark varney is it Mike? No, Mike Varney. Mark was his brother and he had that label Legato Records. And he had a, um, he had the CD sampler that would come out with all the local hotshot guys at the time, it would have been like mid nineties. And I did a song, he asked me to contribute a song from one and when, you know, I went in the studio, like he said, it, was, uh, it wasn't the first time i had been in the studio but doing my own music, it was, uh, it was really fun. And I remember just listening to it over and over and going, wow, that's actually my tune, my melody. And it that's when I started to think maybe I, you know, I had these little licks that I'd kind of intentionally put in that didn't sound like anybody else, or at least I felt so at the time. But uh, that that was probably the first time.
0: Yeah. And and were you always kind of consciously aware of those things when they were happening, like making choices, like to go further down Oh, I'm going to go that way. Cause that does, that sounds more like me, you know?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The problem I had was, uh, you know, I lived in Nashville for a long time and I was, I was doing sessions there and um, doing what we talked about earlier in the, in this, uh, in your interview. And um, you can't have those kind of things. You have to play sort of parts, you know, and, or, or at least, you know, you can have your identity, but it's got to go between here and here. And yeah. so you, yeah. I had to learn how to shut off certain things, and then then you, I'd work on things. But, and that that sort of stifled me, I think. Um, so yeah, I I would, I I definitely would make decisions like, well, that sounds like a cliche kind of thing. I don't want to do that. I would force myself to literally yeah. play outside of the box. You know, I spent yeah. a lot of time doing that, like. Uh, if I have to play a s- stock-sounding blues solo in a session, I can do it, but it's not really spent so much time trying to unlearn that stuff. You know? <laughs> yeah, I understand what you're saying, man. It's it's I don't like, know, that makes sense, but it's
0: uh, it I mean, totally I think makes sense. Have to,
1: they have to vo- focus on on uh, what makes them uh, unique and go with that, and it doesn't. You don't have to have a lot of chops, you know. What I mean. Nope. Uh, I think Eddie Van Halen had one of my favorite quotes. He was like, "I'd rather I'd rather bomb with my own stuff than make it with somebody else's." You know, and uh, and that was uh, that. That's that's why he became Eddie Van Halen because he wasn't trying to play like anybody else. You know, yeah. all the people that we like, they were just they just did their thing. Yep. You know?
0: Yep. hundred percent. Uh, all right. Number six, what do you consider uh, a big weakness on the guitar? What, what do you think is your biggest guitar weakness?
1: Oh man, probably my right hand picking. I used really? to have a really great, I still, it's okay. I mean, it's still, I can, it's pretty fast, but I think I botch a lot of notes sometimes and I would say that would probably be my weakness. Um, hmm. Yeah, probably right hand. I mean, I see like guys now on Instagram and, you know, every note is like just crazy precise and, and I go, oh, I want to do that. I used to be able to, you know, I can't, it's not clean like it used to be because I just didn't do it for years and years. And it's such, my, my technique is such a hybrid of all, it's a mutt of all this stuff. So I always consider my right hand as um, but it's not really my style, you know. When I, it sounds contrived when I play a lot of fast stuff with just my right hand. But I hear guys like, you know, you or, uh, I don't know, Joe Bonamassa or the Eric Johnson kind of licks. and I want to do that. And I practice it and I can get it. But if I would use it, it sounds dumb. Interesting. You know? So I consider it a weakness. I don't know. Well, it's it's weird because for me, I, I, I hybrid
0: pick it all. I can't do it like the way Joe – does it, you know, or, or Eric Gales or, or Eric Johnson. When I sit down yeah. with those guys and they play alternate pick that stuff, it's like, Nope, I can't do that. <laughs> Not yeah. Happy. Yeah. Uh, crazy. Interesting, man. All right. What, who, who would you say is a big influence on your guitar playing that maybe people would be surprised to hear?
1: Uh, let me think about that. There's a lot of people man um i mean i love Ry cooter i don't know if anybody would be surprised by that um let me think let me think let me think um besides the obvious people i don't know (laughs) it's not necessarily guitar players you know yeah maybe a
0: non-guitar player yeah
1: yeah well i mean man you know just i there's a lot of guys but like I learned so much from playing with great drummers. That they they were as influential to me, like Zigaboo Modeliste or um, uh, Art Neville. You know, being in the Nevilles at that point, when I was in my early mid 20s, I mean, and hearing space, the way Art used to use space, and he taught me a lot about space. And he used to he used to have this thing. He would tell me he was, you know, we'd listen to a tune and. Art would, you know, he'd always man, that's cold-blooded, bro, it's like this. It's like a washing machine, you know? That was his analogy, and, and I would say, what do you mean, Art washing music? Yeah, it's, it's like this, man, it's got this thing. And that was really a big deal when I play pocket and rhythm now because what he meant was, it's when the washing machine's agitating, it's in between the, the notes. Like, that's what makes it funky, and that's what gives things groove, and it's tension and release. And so um, cats like that were as influential, if not more, than guitar players to me, man. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I had the obvious, you know, I mean, Eddie Van Halen, Steve Vai, I loved. Wes Montgomery was a big influence. Uh, Ry Cooter, um, who else? Scott Henderson, did, I don't know if I mentioned him. Um, there's other people, but those were the big ones for me for a long time. Mike Stern, later yeah. Schofield. Um, those are a lot of that's a lot of them right there
0: yeah yeah a lot of a lot of good stuff there but yeah it's it, you're right i mean even just the guys you play with who don't play guitar they have as big an impact on your playing as any guitar hero ever will like the great drummers the great keyboard players you know and, and the people there in your formative years too when you're you know really cutting your teeth and learning to be a pro they they make such an impact on where you'll end up down the line without question. Right. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. All right, number 8. Would you rather have on a gig a great guitar and a shitty amp or
1: vice versa? A great amp and a not
0: so good <laughs> guitar.
1: Uh no, oh, man. God, these are these are crazy crazy questions here, Josh. Um <laughs> I think I'd probably rather have a Probably a, a not so great guitar and a decent amp. I'm with you. I could probably have more experience with that, actually. I could probably make pretty much anything work. Because at least yep. if you have a you know shitty guitar, there's a chance you can make it sound kind of funky, and good funky. But yep. an amp yep. is hard. I don't know. Amp for me is hard to pull off. I don't know. What's funny is we fly
0: so often, though, and have to play bad amps as part of the thing. But and so you would think we'd be used to it but still I'd always rather have the reverse. It's like the the gig is going to be so much better with a decent amp and whatever I plug into it than the other way around.
1: Oh, so you're the same, you're in agreement. I'm with you 100%. Oh, yeah. that's interesting.
0: Yeah. It's yeah. been split about 50-50 between guys. A lot of it though are guys rely heavily on specific instruments to even do what they do as a player. So I understand that part of it, you know like a specific setup or guitar that lends itself to being able to f- for them to do their thing, you know, but
1: I, yeah, I guess I've, I've never been super picky with, with uh, equipment or guitar. I mean, there's things I like for sure. And I, you know, but I've never really, I, first of all, for years, I didn't even know much about any of that stuff. So I I'm pretty easy to please when it comes to that.
0: Wow. All
1: right. So you're pretty hands off when it comes to the gear. Yeah, I mean I remember yeah, I I don't I I don't obsess about things, man. I just it's kind of boring to me, honestly. <laughs> I I like some of, you know, I don't like geek out over pedals and things. I have a lot of nice pedals that I love, but um I don't know. They kind of to me if you're a great player and you have, you know, good hands, I mean you should be able to get nowadays man i mean i'll give you an example okay this guy wanted to get rid of this guitar the jam band i was in i was telling you about signed this guitar 15 years ago he's moving to spain he's getting rid of everything he asked me if i wanted the guitar i said sure send it to me and i saw the picture of squire or whatever so i said well i'll do something with it whatever so you can see where we signed so this is a squire guitar man this guitar is unbelievable it's like I, you know, a friend of mine set it up and, um, well, you know, Alan Hines probably. I brought her over to Alan Hines' house. He set it up for me. And I was like, shit, man, this is like a $300 guitar, like, there's your answer right there. I mean, it's so easy to get greats. You shouldn't have any excuses now. I mean, you can get a Tube Screamer for 50 bucks and that guitar, I mean, you should be able to do, you should be able to make music with it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, especially if people you're a, get so bogged down in that stuff, man, and you just forget about what the point of it all is. Dude. Oh
0: yeah, it's easy to completely lose your way and and feel like that's the most important part of what we do is the gear, and it's like, dude, it's literally the least important part. But yeah, guys, guys run into that problem all the time. Yeah. Oh, all right, cool. So we're on the same page there. Number nine. What keeps you like pushing forward to be a better player? Like, what makes you want to be better tomorrow than today? What What keeps you working on new stuff when you you know you're already a working guy, a seasoned professional who's done a lot? And you know, how do you stop from uh, resting on your laurels? You know,
1: uh, I guess it's putting yourself into situations that are challenging. Um, you know, put just putting it out there, man. Like stretching. Um, Since I've been out here uh, last few months, I've been recording with uh, great drummer Toss Panos and this this, uh, bass player Jorgen Carlson from Government Mule. Of course, yeah. And we just like started recording, no plan, no nothing, and um, you know a lot of it's vocal stuff. So that's kind of what I've been focused on. More is just writing, and um, that challenges me like crazy, and it's fun, and I just can't wait to pick up a guitar and just. Just new things like that, that are challenging and fun. Nice. Writing. I'll see some cats on YouTube or whatever, and it'll inspire me too. But mostly it's like working on my own new things that are challenging for me. Mm -hmm.
0: Nice. I mean, yeah, in some ways you just want to be have some little bit of motivation. It's like it doesn't take much for us because it's like we just love this stuff so much. We're going to do it no matter what. So you just need that little push, you know, to keep you working on new shit. Yeah. Uh, All right. Then number 10, as a follow-up to that question, where do you see yourself five years from now? Do you have like a a little bit of a five-year plan or is it just keep kind of going where the wind blows, you know, and see see what happens you know, or, or is there some specific goals you want to check off?
1: Uh, I don't really have a, a five-year plan, but I, I could, I could foresee myself doing well, who knows what, what the world's going to be like in five years with touring, but uh, given, the you know, given the circumstances, but let's say things are back to normal. I don't know. I'd like to get more out there, do my own thing. And it's, it's, way more interesting to me at this point um so focusing more on my own music excuse me maybe we're producing a little more but being nice. selective about that yeah. yeah nice man well dude
0: thank you for uh doing this that's the end of the 10 questions uh i'm gonna put links to all things shane and in the body here shane has true fire courses which you should buy They're yeah rolling. And you should buy his uh, – yeah, you should send me your link. So I post your link in there, the 65% link. Oh, right, yeah.
1: Those, <laughs> those guys are really nice, yeah. I yep. love them, man.
0: Uh, True Fire has been – especially during right. this, during the, the work stoppage, True Fire has been a godsend uh, for me. But uh, Yeah, how many how many courses have you done with them? I've done th- – uh, well, I had only two, but I just went there recently and shot two new ones. So I've got two new ones coming out. Yeah. Okay. It was weird flying, and uh, I've only flown a couple times during this pandemic
1: for some work things, and it, it's been been weird. But,
0: dude, thank you for uh, I actually doing it. this. Man.
1: It's the easiest time to fly, man. I just went to New York, and it was just a breeze. There's, like, nobody on the plane. Yeah. I mean, I took a COVID test when I landed, and it was, like, it was easy. I don't know. I'm kind of nice. spoiled. No traffic here in L.A. Nobody in the airport.
0: Oh yeah, the the traffic thing here, I mean it's kind of getting back to normal now, you know, but for the for months here it was just like a revelation. Like yeah. never seen it like this ever. It was just great. Yeah. 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 Dude, no. Thank thank you for doing this, man. I, I greatly appreciate you taking the time out of your day. And um for the rulers, we're going to come back maybe and do the turn 2, but if you're not a ruler, please hit join or at least subscribe to the channel. It's greatly appreciated, and it will keep me making content. So, dude, thank you so much, man.
1: Yeah, you're welcome, Josh. Thanks for asking, man.
0: You got it, man. A lot of fun.
1: We'll be back in a second. Thanks, dude.